0: Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, worship team, uh, and the extended worship team singing with us this evening. Um, Thank you to those that are here. It's great to uh, have you all sitting here, and then also for those uh, that will check us out online uh, tomorrow. It's great to, again, just just have you join us. Uh, It's obviously better when there's people versus kind of practicing in your basement by yourself, uh, or with my young kids. They don't give quite the response. So, I'm going to go back down uh, memory lane and uh, take you back to 1996. So, okay, hands up, because I was thinking, okay, hands up, who actually was around or can remember 1996? All right, let's give a shout out. Yes, to those that can remember 1996, I figured there would be some in here that are like, nope, definitely wasn't around in 1996. Well, in 1996... I personally finally got my big shot because I got the lead in our elementary school play. I know, I know. Obviously, I'm a teacher, so the acting career didn't pan out. But um, some of you, uh, and maybe many of you here, have, have heard about the story of Gideon. And maybe many of you heard it like I did as a child, And I'm pretty sure at that point in my life in 1996, I didn't really grasp the importance of this story, right? There's kind of some cool things in there, and and again, I I got to, you know, be on the stage, and probably mostly because I was maybe, okay, I'll I'll humble, I was maybe showing off a little bit, you know, uh, because I was in grade seven. Um, Maybe, you know what, maybe I was just trying to prove that I could memorize these lines. I wasn't the best of students, so maybe I was like proving to these teachers, like, no, I can do it. Um, or maybe possibly there was this girl with cool bangs and a beautiful shawl. It's okay, she actually became my wife, so it's okay. It all worked out. Uh, Maybe I was trying to impress her at that time, way back in grade seven, but um, we're going to talk about identity this evening, and it again, I love how just the Holy Spirit connects things. and I really felt it. It was a good just connection after last week from Wes as well. And the enemy wants to twist the image of what God has created us to be. And our lives will change when we get a handle on our identity. And we believe that we are exactly who God says we are. And I know that's a dangerous statement in, in today's world, right? But I'm going to trust in the Holy Spirit and and be brave with this topic this evening and then into the morning. And so I just want to first just start off, um, if you have your Bibles or or your phones with you, uh, in Judges chapter 6. And there's going to be pieces of Scripture that I'll I'll summarize just for time, um, because Gideon's story goes over about three chapters. And so as we open up, we see that the Israelites have opened themselves up and, and what's happened is they've had an identity crisis, and they're not living in the alignment of who God has called them to be. And you, you see it often in Scripture, right? The Israelites were doing what was evil in the Lord's sight. And so what happens in, in this particular time period is the, the, the Midianites come in, okay, and what they're doing is they're actually stealing all of the crops that the Israelites are trying to plant. They're they're just coming in and ravaging the land, and the Israelites have nothing. And what they've done, actually, is they've had to move into caves and into the mountains, because they're so fearful of the Midianites and what they're doing. And so these foreign enemies, right, are taking over. And and. For you and I, if, if you, you remember back in Scripture, it talks about this idea of the land flowing with milk and honey. Well, it doesn't look like that right now, does it? And again, God talks about this being the promised land. But I don't know about you, but if you're living in an area where everything's being stolen and you're living in caves, it, it sure doesn't sound like the promised land, does it? But it's because they had fallen away from their first love. They had, they had again, just re- neglected what God had had said to them and had showed them and asked them the way to live. And so the overall kind of idea that I want to share is God can help us rethink how we think. And so turn with me to Judges chapter 6, verse 11. And many of your Bibles will say this. It'll say the call of Gideon over these verses. And it says this in, in verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath the, the tree at Orpha, which then belonged to Josiah the Abzite while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide from the Midianites. And so, again, just, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, that kind of scenario about threshing wheat is, is kind of foreign to me. And so, right, I often want to look up, like, what was it like during those times? And so, it was, it was a hard job, and it would take to do about a bushel of wheat, it would take about an hour's work to get that, okay? And often, what they would do is it would actually be out in the open in the air, okay? So they're, what they're doing is they're trying to separate, right, the good parts from the bad parts the part that they're not going to use. And they're, they're hitting it against the ground. They're banging it out. And in an open air, what would happen is the wind would help in the process. So the useless chaff would get separated from the grain. And if you look at Uh, kind of archaeology, and you look at the images of a wine press during biblical times, it, it could often be like kind of like a pit dug into the ground. And so here is where we find Gideon. He was afraid to do this out in the open, and so he needed to hide himself. He was, like I said earlier, he was afraid that, that, again, if you did it in the open air, and, and maybe the Midianites would get a whiff, <laughs> and then they would come in and they would take it, right? And he needs that for his family, and so he's in this wine press. So Gideon was trying really hard to not be found. But this is what I love. There's so many things in the scripture that are amazing, is he's trying hard not to be found, but guess what? the angel shows up and finds him. Even though Gideon's trying not to be found, and, and again it says in this, this, this piece of scripture here, is Gideon was actually unaware at this point of the angel's presence. But guess what? God isn't unaware of the situation that you're in. He knows you that there 's no situation or problem that is so big it can hide from God. God will find you and i it 's remarkable and so i 'm going to do just a, a little bit different as I like to kind of go usually like top to bottom in these scriptures, but again I'm, what i 'm going to do is again just give some highlights and a refresher of gideon 's story and so in chapter six, we see um, a bunch of things that happen. So the angel appears, and, and, and then we'll, we'll kind of jump back into earlier parts of the scripture. But he talks with the angel, and what ends up happening is Gideon, the first, one of the first things he does is he's, he has a sacrifice, and he prepares it. And, and guess what? He says, can I have a sign? And what happens is the sacrifice that he has is just, it's on a stone, and fire just consumes it. Then these words in Scripture, it just says, as I fall on the floor, um, it says this. It says, he perceived that the angel was there. And I'm, like, blown away every time I read that. Like, really? Finally, like, this angel's talking to you, and you ask for a sign, and now you perceive that the angel's there. Then there's another account further down in, in this chapter where Gideon, right, the Lord uh, speaks to Gideon and he, and he asked him to tear down these Asherah poles. and These are just poles that, that um, various nations worshipped. And if you know the story, what he does is he does it at night. Because he's scared. He's worried about what's going to happen. And I, I, you know what? I do find it somewhat comical. is because he does it at night, but people find out like, pretty much right away that it was him. So it didn't even work. But again, he was scared. He was worried. And so he did it at night. As we continue through the story, there's another, maybe some of you remember this part, is this idea where, again, God is calling him to do some stuff, and he says, can I have a sign? And I'm just, again, I'm just, I'm blown away, but then what I love about this is it shows Gideon's humanness, right? And I can relate to that. I can relate, like, God speaks, right? And, and then I go through life, and then I, all of a sudden I forget, right? Like God, like the Israelites, the God, of the universe, opens up the sea and leads me through in various things of my life. And then, you know what? Time goes by, and I, f- I forget about that. And then I, I read scripture, and I don't know about you again. I come, come on, Israelites. Really? You forget? And then, you know what? There's usually people in my life to be like, Psst, hey, you do that too. And I'm like, oh yeah. That's why I connect so well to the story of Gideon. And so, the, the sign later in there is this idea, the fleece right? And he says, okay, well, make the fleece wet and the ground dry and the, 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 the ground wet and the fleece dry because he, he's, again, he's, he's, he's like battling with God in this trust, right? And I, again, I just, how God is, right? And so he builds this army and 32,000 men show up. And I'm sure for Gideon, he's just like, okay, like bu- this confidence is building. But I love how God does it. He says, you know what? That's too many people. And they're going to say, you know what? Gideon, he's this, he's this amazing guy. And, and forget that. I'm the person who's working through him. And so what happens is he chisels it down to 300. And I can imagine, again, right? Gideon being like, okay. I was pretty confident with 32,000, but 300. Whew, like, again, I'm battling with this trust. And so that's kind of, again, just some highlights of Gideon's story. But let's jump back into Judges 6, verse 12. And this is a pivotal point in Gideon's life. And here's what the angel of the Lord says. He says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. This part is significant. And again, not getting into too much detail, but, but just to highlight this, is the angel of the Lord is not just a random angel. Again, scholars, we start to look at that, and it says that there's parts where it actually represent God himself. Wow. God finds that this part in Israel's history is so important, and that Gideon's identity is so important that he comes down himself. Just take a moment to just ponder that. God himself comes down. And again, knowing the story, at this particular point, I can't see any good reason why God chose Gideon, right? Like, why? I can't see it. Why does he choose us? Like, there's oftentimes, right? But God is so amazing, right? God is there to remind us that he is who he said he was, that he can still do everything that he said he was going to do. And if, if you and I had a bird's eye view of this conversation, right? I'm the first one to admit, I definitely wouldn't have used ma- mighty man of valor. Right? I don't think I would have used those words. Okay, he's hiding. Could, I probably would use some other words. But for me, this, this idea of valor just like kind of speaks to like a warrior or a soldier. I don't know if, if others connect that way, but... I just can I not just thought of like, you know, these, these great people of courage, right, when they, they're in a battle. And maybe like men or women who, right, have saved other people's lives and that their lives are in danger, but, but they did it anyway. And, and I was thinking of, uh, maybe some of you have seen this, but, but the movie that was based off Den, Desmond Doss's life, Hacksaw Ridge. Like that's kind of what I think of valor. Somebody, right, that story is, is remarkable. He didn't carry a gun. And he's getting right. Bullet shot him, and he goes up, and he and he's accounted in that account of saving up to saving up to seventy five people in Okinawa, which for history people that was it was a it was a crazy battle. And he goes in there and he saves these people. Like that's how to me, like that's how I would define the word valor but here again is the amazingness of God. Because God comes into the situation and he reminds us that you and I, our beliefs don't shift with the truth, right? Do they shift? No. When, when we see and when we feel, what we feel, it doesn't change, right? Because often it, it, it does, right? Is Circumstances don't determine or govern who I am and what I declare true. Yahweh is seated on the throne. So again, we don't decide those things. God does. And I, and I know, I, I understand that that's not a popular thing. I understand that. But again, I, I see that in Scripture. Let's look at Judges 6, 14 to 17. Verses 14 to 17. Because again, it just reminds me that there's hope for you and there's hope for me. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Did, do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. I'm the lowest of the low. Like, it can't be me. you got to pick somebody else. Gideon, I again, I always find this remarkable. Like, and I know we do it too. But Gideon, like, he's arguing with God, right? Like, God is convincing him, and he's like, No, 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 no. Like, pick somebody else. You see, you and I will either live up to, or will live down to whatever you believe to be true about yourself. And uh, I must have been thinking about the 90s, so we're going back to the 90s. The first Lion King. I know it's come back again, so, so again it can bridge the generations, but 1994 is when that came out. And so the, the scene that I was just thinking about in, in connection to that previous statement was, all right, here's the warthog Pumbaa right? And Puma's running through the jungle and he sees this bug, right? And he's just like, oh, just loving life. And he's running after this bug and he's looking at like, oh, this is just a delicious meal. And for those that know that situation and that, that part of the story is, is all of a sudden Nala comes up out of nowhere and starts chasing him around, right? And you just see his eyes like, oh no, like I'm in serious trouble here, right? But the, the, the good thing about Pumbaa is he's got Simba, right? And, and obviously at the, right at the last moment when he, right, Pumbaa, he's like stuck in that like root or whatever, and, and Simba saves him. And we, it turns out again, right, that Simba and Nala, they figure out that they've, they've known each other, they knew each other before. And this conversation starts and Nala says this, it says, you know what, like, if you're alive, do, do you know what that means? You're the king. And and his friends are kind of like, "Him? No, I can't be him. There's no way. No, no, there's no way." Right? And they 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 even need some convincing. And she she continues just continues the conversation like, "You've been alive this whole time? Like, why didn't you come back? We we really need you." Right, And we see Simba, he's in the jungle. He's this, this growing lion now eating bugs. He's, he's living like an orphan. He's, he's living this lie of who he, he's supposed to be. Because remember, there's this, this person named Scar, right? And what Scar does is Scar lies to Simba. And Nala continues to plead with Simba. Scars let everything go to waste. We need you. We desperately need you back. And she's, you're the you're the Simba. I, you're not the same one. You're not the same person. But remember, it was Simba's kingdom. He was told by the enemy to leave. Simba believed he was an outcast. Yet everybody wanted him back. Simba believed that lie. He had forgotten that he was a lion and he was the king. He was living like the warthog and the meerkat eating bugs. But if you know the story, Simba gets a hold of his identity. And I really believe that that there's people sitting in here and are watching it that, that you need to be reminded that when Jesus Christ lives inside of you, like there's a lion inside of you. And he wants to come out. And so I want to encourage you that there is a lion inside of you. Don't be shy. Be who God has called you to be. And just like Gideon, we see him start to discover who he is. And I'm inspired by by the writer of Hebrews. He explains what our lives have the potential to be in God. Hebrews eleven thirty two 32 to 34. Guess who comes back? And it says here in verse 32, it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put armies to flight. Do you see, once again, when we get a hold of God-given identity, when we grasp what God had called Gideon to be, it's amazing what happens. That he's no longer that person hiding in the winepress. Do you know what it says in Scripture? It says, because of the actions that that Gideon did, there was 40 years of peace in the land. Because he found out who his identity in God was. And he grasped it, and he walked into it. And so, here's what I want to, a few things just to conclude with this evening. Because again, I know, this isn't a popular statement, but... Our world contains a lot of voices and noises. And it will try and tell you who you are. Maybe maybe it's your feelings. Maybe it's your failures. Maybe it's your past, your mistakes. Maybe it's your parents, your emotions, your circumstances, your employer, or even social media. But there is only one who has the right and the authority to tell you who you are and that's Jesus. God gave you and I life and is the only one who has authority to define you. God's truth is unshifting and doesn't change. And here's what I want to end with. Whatever posture you need to get yourselves into to just hear the words of God Accepted, loved, adopted, forgiven, a child of God, a friend of Jesus, saved by grace, chosen, complete, redeemed, rescued, cared for, blessed, healed, eternal a new person, a masterpiece, an heir, a temple, declared not guilty, not condemned. Made right with God. Led by the Spirit, being transformed, a co-worker with God, part of the church, strong in the Lord, victorious, and an overcomer. Let those words sink in. Those are <laughs> straight up from Scripture. I'm just going to invite Mike up and the worship team just to, yeah, lead us in the next, next step.
1: Fantastic. Well done, Nathan. Identity is a, a huge issue in the body of Christ. You see, God loves us for who we are and not for what we do. And when we mix up our identity with our function in the body of Christ, stuff happens Because you see, in Christ, there's no higher calling or destiny than to be an heir of God and a co-heir of Christ. When we are saved, I want to just read this from Romans 12. As Nathan was speaking to me earlier, I was thinking of the scripture. Romans 12 from verse 15, he says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, But you receive the Spirit of Sonship, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, if we share in His sufferings, in order that we may share in His glory. There's no higher standing in the universe than to be an heir of God. And a co of Christ. We receive that by grace through faith. We don't earn it. We receive it. But it's out of that place where God calls us to function in the body of Christ. And you can read that in Romans 12, where leaders are to leave, prophets are to prophesy, servants are to serve, and so on. And what happens often in the body of Christ is we feel that sometimes we can feel that we're sort of second-hand citizens in the body of Christ. You see, I have no more of Christ in me than you. I have no higher standing before God than you. There's no higher standing in the universe than to be a co-heir with God and the heir with Christ. It's absolutely phenomenal. Everything else out of that is downhill. It's servanthood as we serve him and the body of Christ. And it's important that we do that. But you see, the biggest threat to the kingdom of darkness, I believe, is the mobilization of the priesthood of all believers. We're all kings and priests. When we understand that we have the authority and the power, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is dwelling in us, and He has called us to go and do greater things than Him. The only thing that's stopping us is ourselves. And you know, the amazing thing about the disciples we see often, Jesus would send them out, and they'd be fearful, and they'd be actually absolutely surprised when. God worked in and through their lives. And we can be like that. But I need to understand that your identity has nothing to do of your past because your past has been paid for through the blood of Jesus, your sin, you've been forgiven. And your standing before God has nothing to do with what you do in the body of Christ. The greatest thing we can do, Jesus says in Matthew 25, I believe, where he says he separates the sheep from the goats. And he commends the sheep for some incredibly small things. A cup of water, a visit to someone in jail or in hospital, a coat. And the sheep are so surprised because they seem so small. They say, when did we actually even do these things? And he said, when you did did them for the least of these, you did them for me. You see, in the kingdom, nothing is small. It's like seed. We plant seeds in people's hearts, seeds of love, forgiveness, and compassion. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit comes and waters that seed, but God makes it grow. And I think when we understand this, because sometimes we think we don't know enough, we're not good enough, We'll relax, none of us are good enough. That's why Jesus died. We don't know enough. But the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians that Paul says, I planted the seed. Apollos came along and watered that seed, maybe with love, maybe with a kind word but God made it grow. And when we understand who we really are in Christ, and that this is the huddle where we come together to be encouraged and taught and empowered, and when we leave this place from here, that's where it counts the most. And don't say, what can I do? As I've said to you before, God used Moses with a stick in his hand, to deliver a nation. David with the stone to slay a giant. You see, God loves to use the foolish and all of us in His eyes must look pretty foolish sometimes because it confounds the wise. And we know that only He can get the glory. Just understand, God can never love you anymore. And there's no future in your past. It's what we do from now on. And when the enemy comes to trash talk us and say that we're useless, we've failed, we've done this, we've done that, we just come to our Father. We confess our sins if we need to. And He says He's faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us from all righteousness. Every day is a new beginning. If we just think of the little things that we have, that we can use to help a neighbor, or somebody on the streets, or wherever they are. And when we do that in the name of Jesus, in the power of the spirit miracles happen and that's why the enemy does not want you to know of your identity co-heir co-equal with Christ think about that we are seated in Christ in heavenly realms we have all authority and all our power to go into his name make disciples, to lay our hands on the sick. A wonderful story about Smith Wigglesworth, if you've ever heard of him and the major revivals, go and read some of these stories and two things that really caught my attention. They said, Smith, how come when all these multitudes of people are before you waiting to be healed, how do you have faith for them? And he said, when I look at them, I have no faith at all. But when I lift my eyes and I see the King of glory, and I see His smile, and I see His compassion for the people in front of me, I have all the faith in the world. I look up, I don't look down. And He said this as a joke once to somebody because he raised over 20 people from the dead in his ministry. And they said, well, how do, you, how, how, did, how do you have the courage to do that? He says, well, a good place to start is in the mortuary. Because if they don't get raised from the dead, they're not going to worry about it anyway. <laughs> and it just says a super faith. What's the worst can happen? What's the worst can happen? So let's spend a little bit of more time. Thank you, Nathan. Amazing message. And let's worship God. Thank you so much. Let's stand and worship God. And for a moment, I want to see yourself seated in the throne room in Christ. See yourself through the eyes of Jesus that you are an heir of God, you are royalty. And you have been called and commissioned as each one of us to go and just share that love in word and in deed. Thank you, Jesus.